Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. We're really happy to be joined today by Dr. AJ Aserno, who is the CEO of Decision One Dental Partners. And Dr. Aserno, I know everyone loves hearing about the dentist, and so I'm sure that we just got tons of people who can't wait to hear this episode because uh, I'm sure you just get people who love to hear about uh, you putting in your hands in their mouth, huh? Yeah, it, it's always uh, it's always that moment that somebody says, "Oh, you're a dentist," you know, and they give you that kind of that look. <laughs> uh, it's never a look of, "Oh my gosh, you're a dentist? That's awesome." <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, I work at a law firm, so I get it. We we we've heard all the jokes. We know all the stories. We know the the terrible lawyer that you had to work with or, you know, was against you or whatever. So I'm right there with you. Um, but we're really excited because as I got to learn more about you and about Decision One, that you really start to see what separates this practice from other practices, maybe, and, and from experiences that people have had in the past. And you start to see why uh, what you're doing is really important and what you're focusing on is really important. And so we'll get to that here in a bit, but I, I want to get started with sharing about you and about where you're from, because I know our listeners love to hear about these journeys that, that our leaders have been on. And so if you could share with us where you're from, and um, if you're not from Chicago, how did you end up coming here to Chicago? Born and raised on the Chicago Northwest side uh, suburbs. Um, my mom was a Catholic school teacher. My dad was a CPA. And uh, I went to Notre Dame High School in Niles, went from there to uh, Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, and spent uh, uh, undergrad and, and dental school out there. And I followed in my brother's footsteps, who uh, went there for undergrad and dental school also. Um, and when I got out of there, I, I, my brother took the job. You know, when, you, when your mom's a school teacher and your dad's a CPA, there's no dental jobs that you could take over, right? So you usually go and take over the dental, right. the dentist that you saw when you were a kid. But uh, my brother went and got an associateship uh, at there. So I was really left out in the open. So I went and worked for a real large corporation um, uh, in Peoria, Illinois, and was there for about two and a half years. Okay. And then um, came back to Chicago, met my wife and, um, uh, you know, decided – you know, I, I want to come back home. So Chicago's always got a yeah. place in my heart. And, you know, I've traveled uh, all over the country. Um, I've met a lot of dentists all over the country. And I'll tell you, we have a we have a pretty special city. Yeah, I'm actually from the Bloomington Normal area. So I know Peoria yeah. pretty well. Uh, it's a very different city, even than, obviously, than Chicago, but even than like where I grew up. It's kind of one of those in-between cities. And so um, it's interesting you got to spend some time there. Uh, having two parents who aren't dentists, um, was it was it your brother that really you were just really following after him and wanted to do what he did, or, or how did you get interested so, in dentistry? Great, great question. So my brother, since he was three years old, wanted to be a dentist. I mean, he just 
he, he craved being a dentist from early on. I actually went to Creighton thinking I wanted to be a physician, um, got into osteoporosis research, did a four years of osteoporosis research. And it wasn't until my senior year of undergrad that I figured out medicine was definitely not the direction that I wanted to go into. You know, like I wanted, mm -hmm. I, I always looked at medicine and healthcare as you tell somebody they need something, they get it done and they get better. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And I just saw so many political hurdles and, and insurance hurdles and all these things to getting people to really good health. I didn't really, I did not, I didn't really, I did not like the way that healthcare was going uh, in medicine. So I got out of that and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And my brother said, Hey, if that's really what you want to do, you should go into dentistry. And I'm like, man, kind of like what you said, I don't want to put my hands in people's mouths, but um, <laughs> I actually, you know, jumped in with a leap of faith and it was probably the best decision I made. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who are uh, who are actually in residency right now about, and it's interesting because, I mean, nothing really, very few things are what you think they are when you go into it, right? Like, it's hard to tell when you pick your major in school if you're going to like it, if it's going to be what you thought it was, if you're going to get to do the things that you were hoping that you were going to get to do. Uh, and medicine seems to be one of those things where, there's this external factor, as you were talking about, the political climate, the fact that, you know, the presidency changes every four to eight years. So you're constantly getting new policies put out there. You're constantly getting new sort of people taking over who it's like they want to do things this way or that way. And so there's this like external factor that you can't really do anything about that seems to really affect the industry. Can you share a little bit about um why that's so, maybe why that's so difficult for people who want to help people who want to improve medicine, but find it really difficult to do that because of other things? Yeah, I have a, I have a TED talk that is uh, healthcare has lost its soul. And um, my whole entire aspect during that, and it's still the way I feel today and, and so on and so forth, um, you know, healthcare is healthcare. It doesn't belong in politics, doesn't belong in uh, a political football, it, it doesn't belong in insurance companies' hands. And it sure as heck doesn't belong. Your health of your body shouldn't be made by decisions besides somebody that has an MD after their name. And the reality is, is that that's not what's happening. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, as a business that I'm in, I'm all for business people helping with the business aspect of medicine and, and those type of things. But once it starts to affect the care of an individual, then we have an issue. And, um, and honestly, that's my goal today in dentistry. My goal in dentistry is I never want to walk away from my field going, man, that was awesome. Uh, my field is actually worse than it was when I started. And it, I don't know too many physicians that can say our healthcare system is better than it was. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, if you don't walk into a hospital and you're your own advocate, you got an issue. Um, the other aspect is, is that there's and this has nothing to do with the healthcare providers, but the environment that they're in. They're in an environment where, um, you know, they're dealing with low margins because insurances are decreasing price. Um, the last person that I probably want to make feel like they're not getting paid enough is the person that's cutting me open or treating me and my health. But that's, that's what's happening, right? The margins become slimmer. There has to be profit in organizations. 
all of a sudden there's different things that are going on and you just lose your soul of what you're really there for. You, you have a human on the end of you and you're trying to treat that human, you know? Um, and, and that's really where I think we've, we've kind of lost it, but I, I know we can gain it back. Um, we're trying to do that in, in dentistry, even though insurances are trying to dictate what we do. Um, we're trying to do that. It's a little bit easier for us in dentistry because the cost factors aren't where medicine's at. Um, but I do believe that medicine is going to make a turn for the better at some point um, because we just cannot continue down this path. Yeah. We'll certainly link your TED talk uh, along with this episode because I'm really interested to hear uh, your thoughts on that. And it's obvious that you really focused on the individual and on that person's well-being. And I think um, while you want to believe that about every medical professional, we've all had experiences where we felt like, you know, maybe we weren't the most important aspect of treatment. And uh, there were, you know, those other things that you were talking about. And so when you find those people who really are focused on you and your treatment and your health and your well-being, I think it's really important. Um, when you were young, when you were a young dentist and you were just starting off, can you tell me about what that was like for you in terms of, uh, did you feel good about, you know, going to work every day? Did you feel like you were helping people? Did you feel like um, you were connecting with people when you were young? Well, Not that you're so not the, young now. But. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's it's kind of a funny story because I have a, an associate in my practice now and it was always, I, you know, you always think you're younger in your head. And I remember the days when I was like, I want to see the young dentist. And that was me, right? Now they're like, hey, I want to see the young dentist. <laughs> it's not me anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, you know, my partner is awesome. Dr. Dr. Smith is terrific. But I will say this. Um, yes, when I first got into the field and today, I feel the same way. Um, you know, dentistry is a relationship-based business. It's a customer service industry, right? And that's really how healthcare should be ran is a customer service industry. Um, the problem in medicine is, is that you got an income of people coming in. You got a flow of people no matter what, right? Um, right. In, in right. dentistry, it's way different. Like we're, we're there to provide a great patient experience because we don't have a flow coming in. If, believe it or not, only 44% of this nation actually goes to the dentist. So, um, you know, and, and when you start thinking that way and you start to think of the amount of people that don't go to the dentist, that's really where our focus needs to be put on. Right. But we always cannot forget that it starts with a relationship. We're in a very tight situation. We have our hands in somebody's mouth. Usually um, it's probably not the most fun aspect to be at a dentist. Right. As you were alluding to. Um, but that shouldn't deter somebody from actually getting to health, oral health care and, and the overall body. Um, we're seeing a lot of links to that and so on and so forth. So what I'm trying to get at is, is that taking care of people, it's a great profession to be able to form that relationship because I always wanted to practice where anybody can come in there. It doesn't matter whether it's the CEO of a company or whether it's somebody that is maybe doesn't have a job right now and is just searching and needing some help. That's the type of care. And then I want all their family and friends to come in, you know, um, and that's what we've established. We've been able to establish that type of momentum. Now it's tough. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it's tough to have a high level of customer service. We don't get it wrong. all We don't get it right all the time. Um, but it is a passion that we have. 
Yeah, and one of the things that I think a lot of people have learned a lot more about in this world that we're living in and in the, the context of you know COVID-19 is the importance of preventative care, of taking care of your body before you get sick or before something happens. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the sickness that we saw, I mean, we see how, you know, respiratory care and preventative care really plays an important part in why people are getting so sick, um, you know, if they do catch COVID. And I think it's one of those things where there's a good portion of people who can't see a doctor unless something's wrong, unless they, they go to the emergency room or, or they absolutely have to because they just don't have those resources. And so yeah. um, can you share with us about about like the, the difficulty in that of, of getting people resourced to be able to see the, dent, the, the doctor or the dentist and then why preventative care is so important in, in keeping people healthy and keeping the nation well? Yeah, this is the... I mean, this is the overall big screaming thing that we're on a platform, and we could probably do a whole podcast on this, right? But um, preventative care is the key to anything, okay? So, um, you know, you, you have somebody that comes in, and unfortunately, let's say they couldn't afford to come to the dentist, which that's a misnomer. Believe me, people can afford to go to the dentist, okay? Um, it is not medicine. It's not as expensive as, as someone would actually think. So getting into preventative care, you can do that. But usually those individuals that aren't going to seek dental care are also the individuals that aren't doing the best home care either. So when they do come to the dentist, all of a sudden it's, hey, you got to have four teeth pulled and you got this huge massive bill because you have all these problems, right? So teaching them right. when they're young and moving that through is, is, is really important. We do a super poor job in the United States of really advocating for that. Just, I mean, just think about this. When's the last time you saw a commercial that, um, that targeted all races, all demographics to actually get, take care of yourself at home? Very difficult. We don't yeah. see that. But back when I was a kid, man, you saw Crest commercials, brush every six months, do this, do you know, or brush every day and go every six months. And I mean, it was all this stuff that constantly was inundated on us. We've gone away from that. And I think we have to go back. Um, but that's a passion of mine. My passion is, is to take this. I, I don't, I do not want to leave my field and say, oh man, look at that. 45% of the nation still goes to the dentist. You know, I need, I, right. me personally, I'd love 75%. 75%, I think, is a, um, is, is a good number, and that should be a number that we're in. How we get that care to everybody, you know, that's a um, to million trillion dollar question, really, because it deals with government. Government access uh, is definitely something that we're going to have to talk about. Uh, but it also deals with insurance companies and, um, you know, insurance companies that create record trillion dollar profits yearly um and we only have 44 percent of the nation coming through so um at some point in time i think we all have to sit down and work together the industry of dentistry the insurance companies and the government to figure out how we're going to benefit you know how we're going to do this long term um because there's no reason somebody should go without teeth um in today's day and age would you suggest for people who maybe haven't been to the dentist in a long time, it's, I think it's one of the scariest things if you haven't been to the dentist for a few years to go, 
it has to be scarier than a lot of other things because I think most people assume that there's going to be a lot of problems. And so if someone hasn't been to the dentist in a long time, would you suggest that they just call someone up and say like, hey, I need a checkup, yeah. you know, can I come in? Yeah. Or, or how would you suggest someone go about doing that if they're kind of scared to go? Well, first and foremost, you know, getting a good recommendation from your friends and family, right? And, and somebody that is going to be compassionate. Um, you know, it, it's part of customer service, you know, being empathetic and having an, uh, a, a, phys- a physician or a dentist that has good bedside manner and, and can take care of something like that, right? Um, so that's mm-hmm. one. Number two is, is that um, it's... A great dentist breaks it out to you on what's important right now, what's important in the coming future, and what's important in the distant future, you know. So, um, you know, somebody that can really break it down for you, and and, and it it is a relationship-based business. So you do have to create – got to go to somebody that you're going to have a good relationship with, that you like, that you understand, and and those things. I think that's just really crucial – uh, when you're picking a dentist and, and, and picking somebody, especially when you haven't been in a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It should not be scary. Yeah. It I, should not be scary. <laughs> it actually should be very comforting, you know? Uh, but I feel the same way. I mean, uh, it was a couple of years ago that, you know, I'm 45 and I was like, yeah, I probably got to go see my physician a little bit more often than like once every 10 years, you know? And uh, I was nervous, you know, you're nervous to get the blood drawn and see what's going on. And it's the same thing here. Like you get nervous. um, Oh, my gosh, I don't know if I brushed well. I don't know what's going on. Um, But it should be comforting. Yeah. And I like what you said about breaking it down and and just helping people understand we don't have to do everything today. But, you know, this is what you need to be concerned with now. And this is what we're going to look out for in the future, which I think is a lot of what people do in with their with their health with their primary care physicians um, or their internists, where they're like, okay, here's what here's what we want you to focus on now. Here's what, how we're going to make sure you're well in the future. And I think a lot of people think of dentistry as like, you know, here's what you got to do now all the time. But you can actually lay out a plan of action for people that will help take care of their teeth and their oral health for a long time and not, not just worry about, okay, like you said, you got to get this tooth pulled. You have that cavity, whatever the case may be. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, just bringing people through that, getting them to understand that mix. Okay. Um, so kind of knowing all of that, then for you as an associate, did you feel like you were able to do those things or did you feel like you were able to to affect the way that you your organization did dentistry at that age, or, or were there were you just like kind of doing whatever the the older dentist kind of yeah, wanted you to do and doing it their way? Yeah, it definitely. I learned really quick that you can't do it the way the old dentist did. Right, the old dentist used to walk in and be like, "Hey, sit back, relax, hold on a second, let me put my cigarette down and let me work on you." Right, and you just were like, "Okay, that's that's what we're going to do," um, and and you did whatever the dentist really said. That was back when insurance covered 100% of whatever they told you you were going to do. So it didn't really – you weren't yes or no. <laughs> now with insurance companies reducing the amount that they cover, patients are more apt to ask a lot of questions and, hey, why do I need this? Do I really need this? Oh, my gosh. This is – you know, like all those questions come through and that's okay. That should be part of the part of the process, you know, um, of, of doing that. But I always felt that we needed to go into a different direction. 
You know, I knew right away that customer service was going to be the key factor. I actually worked for Disney when I was in high school. So when you work in Disney, you understand really fast how good customer service is and what the best customer service should be. So we actually brought a lot of principles that we learned at Disney to the dental office. I have to admit, I never thought about customer service in terms of dentistry. Like I, I never would have put those two together. And it is a service industry, but it's also one of those, like I always felt like, well, if you do it, if you need it, you need it. And they're like, what are you going to do? You're going to go see whoever you can. Um, but the way that you're, you're sort of laying this out for us in this customer service individual focus sort of way, it's like, it really seems like a partnership with your dentist where it's not just them telling you what you need, but it's the two of you sort of working together to make sure everything, because the, the other thing is the, the person, the, the client, the patient has to be able to do the things that you tell them they need to do. So they need to be able to get a new toothbrush every six months. They need to be able to get toothpaste and yeah. floss and all those things. Like they have to be able to actually do what you're asking them to do. So here's the, here's the bridge and not to say that because of the podcast, but, but it, honestly, here is the bridge. <laughs> so people have to be first in healthcare and there's two people. There's your team members, people you're working with and two is the patient. Both people you have to listen to and you do not create a dental office based on what you want. You base it on what your customer wants and your customer is your team members and your customer is the patients, right? So you got to listen to them. The second thing is you got to form systems within your office and know the patient experience flow. Right. So what is the patient experience journey in your office and how do how many touch points do they have and how do you better that experience in that journey? OK. And then that equals a business, a good business. Right. If you go and just say, I want a good business, I want to make money and I want to be a healthy business and you work from there backwards, never works. You got to start with people mm -hmm. first, put the systems in place move into then what does a great business, then you're going to have a great business, right? Um, and that's it. That's mm -hmm. kind of, that's, that's, a, that's a, a mold that we've always done. Um, you know, one of our pillars is altruism. Uh, so I value others more than myself. I need others more than myself. Um, I'm a dentist. I, I, the last time, you know, back in the old days, maybe a dentist can answer the phone, book appointments and see patients at the same time. But um, ultimately, in dentistry, you can't do that. You need other people to help you. And um, I need my team members around me, and I need patients to come in and want to see me. So those are all aspects that we look at in creating a great business and a bridge between what the patient wants and what we need. So then let's talk about forming that organization and starting that business, um, because obviously, you have a lot of passion for the job, but you, you also have a lot of passion for people. And so in order to, to merge those two, it seems like you really had to go out on your own and do that. And so share with me about kind of what spurred you to start this and then sort of what it was like for you in those early days. So I knew that group practice was going to be a thing. As margins begin to decrease and expenses go up and all those things, grouping together and, and bringing our colleagues together was going to be a big deal. 
So when, you know, I, I opened up my own dental practice, I merged a bunch of dental practices in my practice. I'll spare you all the details, but my brother and I decided that we were going to own some other practices and um, bring our colleagues into the mix and take all the great aspects of group practice and the great aspects of private practice, blend them together. We know being clinicians ourselves, we know what we wanted and what we needed, and we knew what our patients needed. So form a company based on all the things, listening to our customer, uh, form a company based on all those things. The company is based off of relationships. You know, there's relationships that we have with our team members, relationships that the team members have with patients, and that's how we support each other in that mix. My dad was a CPA, so we brought my dad into place, and it was my brother, my, my myself, and my dad, you know. Um, and, um, and we started the group and, and we grew it, you know, we're in 33 locations in the Chicagoland area. And, um, you know, although in dental companies, that's a small, that's definitely a small dental company. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're extremely pleased with the growth. Um, we did a, a strategic partnership with a great partner in, in smile brands, uh, two years ago, um, to help us and help our side of growth and, it's just been a, you know, that's how we knew, we knew that we were going to do that. And it gets to a point in your career when, you know, I, I still do dentistry twice a week, right? And um, I, even though you get to a point in your career where you love, you have a passion for dentistry. I do. I love it. But I also have a passion for the field and the business of dentistry, right? I want to make sure dentistry continues to survive the way that it is right now and doesn't get overtaken like we see, we've seen our colleagues in medicine. So understanding that uh, if you do not solve the problems of your industry, somebody else will. And I don't want somebody yeah. else to solve a problem for what we think as dentists we can be better at. So that's that's been our that's our goal, and that's our, that will be continued to be our goal. It's kind of the uh, the entrepreneur philosophy for, for dentistry, where it's like in, a, in an entrepreneurship you're you're filling a need, right? You find a void and you fill the need for dentistry. It seems like that need is to care for the future of the practice of the occupation and make sure that it can sustain whatever else goes on in the outside world and that it can continue to be good for people, for, for the individuals to make sure that they are well taken care of. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that's really important. I think, that's really awesome that you're really focused in on that and that you enjoy the business because it can be tough to, you know, I know attorneys who love being attorneys who love working with clients, but the, but the practice and the, the sort of, you know, the court systems and all those things get tough to deal with. And, and sometimes partnerships can be tough to deal with. And so I, I like that you enjoy both sure. of those and I appreciate that they're both really important to you. The mission, mission we have is change the way dentistry is done to improve lives, right? I mean, as I said before, I'm walking away from this field, improving the field. It's pretty tough to do that when you have one dental practice, right? So yeah. if, you're, if you're really planning on changing something and you're planning on moving, you, you have to go in many different directions to do that. And we made a conscious effort to do that in order to continue to help people. Yeah. What did it mean to you to get to do this alongside your brother and to, to do this thing together? What, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, when we're not fighting on the floor. No, I'm just joking. I, I, um, I'll tell you what, it means a lot. A lot of people say, like, don't get into business with your family and stuff like that. I mean, I have a lot of relatives that are in our business, to be honest with you. And um, uh, it's been great. 
you know, you, you do have to separate when you get to business, it's business. And when it's, you know, family, it's family. Right. And that's, that's always hard to, hard to separate, but um, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a blast for me. I, I can't say that it's, it's been bad. Now you can ask him, you can have him on the podcast. He might say something <laughs> different, but you know, I think we're both also, we, we went to healthcare. My mom and dad, as I told you, weren't in healthcare and to be able to work with our dad is really special. You know, my dad is, um, you know, retired and then we took him out of retirement and he's in his early seventies and, you know, he's still, he's still working with us. And I'll, I'll tell you, that's been a lot of fun. That's, that's, that's an enjoyable moment. Yeah. So regardless of how this grows and we believe it will grow because it's a system that seems to be working well. So regardless of how big it grows, it's still a family business at its core. Yeah. That's, oh man, that's funny that you just asked me that. Somebody just asked me that before. So yes. Um, I have a different perspective of a family business now, you know, like a family business, Mm -hmm. some people think, you know, in families, they love you no matter what. Right. Um, you can really, really screw up and and you still have family. That's what family means. Right. Mm -hmm. And in our business, that's Mm -hmm. the case. Don't be afraid to fail. You're going to be okay. You're here. You know, we, we, we pride ourselves on that, but in families different than businesses, I rather look at it as a team atmosphere. Like we're a team, you know, so we, we don't want to screw up because we, we mess something up for somebody else, you know, because we're, we're all affected by that. Um, so, um, it is a family business cause we're, there's a lot of family members in there, but we're a team, right? And, um, sometimes people think when family business and you start to say like, I, I remember this, we had to get an HR book, right? Like we're, you know, over 500 team members. We're like, okay, we got, we got to get an HR book, you know? And um, yeah, there's right. a lot of people are like, oh man, you guys are losing your family appeal because you got an HR book. I was like, no, it's because I don't want to get sued and I want you all to have a job, you know? So um, it's, right. <laughs> it's, you just got to do, you got to grow, you know, and you got to grow with the business. And it's not about that. It's about the culture, you know, um, I still every every month I still sign birthday cards for everybody in the company. You know, um, I, I, we still have company outings before COVID, but I mean, we, we plan on continuing to do that. I mean, those are the things that make culture special. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those are the things that make people want to partner with you and to work for you when they feel like they will be valued as an individual that they won't be lost in this huge practice where it's like, okay, they can still know that, that you value them, that, you know, just thinking of them on their birthday or, you know, that, you know, what they add to the practice I think is really important. And so at the size that you are, how do you continue to value people and how do you show them that, you know, if they weren't there, the practice wouldn't be what it is, regardless of whatever job they do there. We, we doubled down on that during the pandemic, to be honest with you. And I think we've learned a lot um, about how much that culture actually means to us during the pandemic. Um, every morning during the pandemic for a half hour, we would get speakers and, and give positive uh, meetings every morning to our team members um, because dentistry was stopped. You know, people were furloughed yeah. and it was tough. 
but we kept on giving positive meetings and having, I mean, we had over 200, 200 people every morning jumping in and listening and we get, it was just awesome. That was one. Number two, when we came back, we doubled down on it because, you know, you're coming back in a stressful situation. You got new PPE, you got, it's just stressful. And um, on top of that, 25% of our field didn't come back, you know, because you have still kids at home and you have all this and and we're, we're 93.6% women in our group or 94% women. Um, dentistry, by the way, uh, I will tell you this, um, you cannot survive without women. I can talk about that in a second. I mean, it's just a, a major aspect, but, but you know, 25% can't come back or they come back a little bit or they, Hey, I could do three hours a day, but I got to go, you know, it was stressful. And then on top of that, we had all the social unrest this summer. And one day we just stopped with our partners at Smile Brands and us and, and uh, Steve and myself, the CEO said, we got to do something that we can't control what's going on on the outside. We can't control the pandemic. We can't control the social unrest, but we can provide an environment that everybody wants to come to in our, in our places of work. So we established like once you enter the, once you enter the office, you enter the tent. Everybody's allowed in the tent. The people that aren't allowed in the tent are those that don't want others in the tent. Then you, then you go, right? But everybody's allowed in the tent. We're going to treat each other with respect. We're going to, um, you know, just kind of be that altruism, you know, and understand everybody and, and, and do whatever you can because the world is so crazy right now. Why the heck are we going to have a crazy workplace also? So, so we double yeah. down on it. Yeah, and I like that you said that because I think when we when we talk about diversity and inclusion and we talk about social justice issues, I think a lot of people feel like it's really hard, kind of like what you're talking about as far as going to the dentist. People feel like it's going to be really bad, but it, it's going to be people feel like it's going to be really hard to tackle these issues. And some of them it is certainly, but I think it's also really simple in the way of like, it, you have to start somewhere and you just have to start with saying, okay, it doesn't matter what you look like, who you worship, how you worship, um, you know, who you decide to be in a relationship with. What matters is that you're a person and that you have value. So you belong here. And I mean, I really respect that you took the time uh, to focus in on that and to, to call that out and to say, like, if you don't belong, if you feel like you don't belong anywhere else, you belong in this tent. I think that's really, that really inspires me. It really gives me a great feeling because I feel like you wouldn't necessarily think about your dentist, you know, knowing that importance or feeling or putting that importance on such a, a high level. But um, I really appreciate that, that you do that. And I think that a lot of people wish more people would just take that stance at least so that they know, okay, this is a safe space if nowhere else is. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a tough, a lot of people have said to me, that must be tough. That's not tough. That's actually pretty easy, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of tough questions going on on the outside in the social world. And man, I am not here to advocate saying that I know any of those answers. Okay. But I do know that you respect other humans. That's it. Like it's pretty simple, right? Mm-hmm. You got to start there. And um, 
And sometimes that's hard when somebody does something wrong against you or perceived to be wrong against you or whatever it is. It's, it's not easy, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. at Decision One and at Smile Brands, our partner, there's no place, no place for anything but you're okay with everybody, right? This, is, this place is the safest place that you could be. And um, that's it. That's, that's the answer. Yeah. Wow. To think about work being the safest place you can be, that, that'd be, that'd be really cool. Um, if everyone could feel that same way. I mean, I, I feel that here, I feel like I'm valued here and that they really pour into me and develop me as a leader. And so I just wish everyone could feel that same way. And I'm glad that, that you do that there at uh, decision one. Um, I do want to get back to talking about females in, in the practice. I, I guess we can talk about that now and then I'll, Go from yeah. there, because um, we just celebrated female or Women's History Month here on the podcast, and we had some just amazing female leaders. And so, if you haven't had a chance to listen to those, I would suggest everyone go back and listen to our last uh, six weeks worth of podcast because they were just amazing people. Um, and it's I I was I mean it's so crazy to think like it's crazy good to think that ninety four percent of of your organization is female, and so. I mean, how did that happen and, and why are why are females so important to the dental industry? Um, that's a you know, the history of dentistry has always been I got a good story for you before I get into that. OK, so I'm on a, I'm on a panel and this is during that like heat of the Me Too movement. OK, and unfortunately, okay. There's four CEOs up there and we're all male, okay? Um, mm -hmm. In hindsight, probably shouldn't have had a panel like that, but we did, okay? And um, there a woman uh, in the crowd, she was very upset and she said, hey, listen, as she said it to me, she goes, I just looked at your leadership in your, in your company and you're, you're mostly male and you, know, you need more females and this and that. And I just said to her, I said, listen, um, my name's Acerno. My brother's name's Acerno. My dad's name's Acerno. I promise you if we had a sister named Acerno, she would be up there too. I said, but I don't. The only thing I can tell you is, is that in our, in our in decision one, if we did not have women, this is, there's no me too movement in, in, you know, there's no like, Hey, we need to get more women in dentistry. The answer is if we don't have women, there's no dentistry. There's none. There's yeah. zero dentistry. I, I can absolutely positively say that wholeheartedly. Um, dental schools now, I mean, the classes are 55%, 50% women, right? Um, we have, uh, you know, a predominant of hygiene. It's probably 90, 95% women. Uh, dental assistants are 90, 95% women. The, the, the front uh, uh, business uh, associates, they're, they're 95% women. I mean, you cannot function if women were not part of dentistry, right? Um, how that happened, I have no idea, to be honest with you. I think it was it was a great job back in the day when it was a kind of like a seven to three, seven to four job, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and it is still is a great, great job, but it's different hours, of course, now and different things. And there's so many great career opportunities now. Um, it's immense, you know, what's happening in the dental field and the opportunities for women moving forward. 
Um, I have two daughters. There's no doubt that I'll help, you know, I would want them directed towards a field that has, you know, great opportunities for them to move forward. Um, and when you're leading 94, 95% women, why, why wouldn't you have other women leaders leading it? You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's just awesome. So I never even looked at it like that, to be honest with you, until the Me Too movement came, I was just always kind of like, yeah, man, I'm in a field there's 95% women, you know, like it was just kind of like, that's the way it is. Um, then when that came about, I was kind of like, wow, that's crazy. There's other, you mean there's other fields out there where there's no women that are, <laughs> that are in there? You know, like, I was like, I was kind of like a, an idiot, you know, I was just like, oh, whatever. Um, so for us, we were, I don't know, maybe there was a Me Too movement back in the 60s or 70s for dentistry. I have no idea. All I know is we're a whole century removed from that and, and ahead of that, you know. Um, and so I, I really appreciated that about our field. You know, I, I really do. Healthcare, you know, that's the greatest thing about healthcare. I, I, you don't look at race. You don't look at gender. You don't look at you just look at the person as you're taking care of other people. It's just it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's awesome. I wish, I, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, we are always looking at diversity at decision one. We, we want it, we want to do more diversity, you know, um, it, it's a, it, we want to be dentists for everybody. It's not, it, it's the same thing in my practice. Remember I told you, I didn't want like either, or it's the same thing. We only have 44% of this nation going to the dentist, you know, like you're not going to get more people going to the dentist if you're just one certain gender race or whatever, like you need diversity because that's going to include more people coming in and and coming to the dentist and, and doing feeling safe coming to the dentist. I mean, all those things I'm, I'm, it'd be great. Yeah. Um, and, and do you feel like in other practices or in other, uh, dental circles that, that women are elevated to like partnership levels. Do you feel like in, there are leadership opportunities for yes. the women that are being put out yes. there? Yes. I mean, so a dentist goes, I'll, I'll speak business and then it gets into this. So uh, if you ever ask somebody to run their business and say, here's the deal in the morning, you're going to come in, you're going to rah, rah, everybody up. Then you're going to leave the business and come back at four o'clock and go, how did everything go? Would you be a good leader in that practice? They'd be like, no way, man, I'd be dead. That's what we right. ask dentists to do every time. They're the leader of a business. They go and put their head in, head in a room and, and work on people. Then they come out and they go, hey, everybody, how did it go? Did people pay today? Did we, do, you know, like what happened? If you look at that, the right hand of a dentist constantly in business is a usually a woman, is an office manager that is a woman. And you... I mean, I couldn't do anything without my office manager, uh, who is a woman that, I mean, has been with me since day one that I started this organization, you know, um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, her name's Pasta. She, she was my first like office manager. And um, honestly, she she runs it, you know, like, I mean, people people know like, oh, I'll ask Pasta, you know, like it's a it's just it is a, there is a lot of opportunity there's a ton of opportunity. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to ask you a question that may sound funny, but I'm always interested in this aspect as well. Um, I mean, Decision One has become so successful and just reading all about the organization and all about you, I mean, you're obviously at, at the top of the practice and you're doing things that other people aren't doing and you're doing them really well. Were you worried at all when you started this that this model could fail or that this wouldn't take off, that people wouldn't buy into what you wanted to do as a, as a leader in the dental practice? Was there any concern that it just may not work? Um, I had zero concern on the model. I have zero concern on the model. Um, I think uh, patient-centered focused healthcare is is just, you can't go wrong. I do have concerns with the outside influences that do deal with dentistry, uh, from insurance companies to government influence, uh, to supply networks, to um, you know all those avenues. That's a concern for me. Um, the amount of workers that we can get in, I mean, we're, we can't hire fast enough as our growth, as our growth continues. It's just very difficult to hire right now. So I'm worried about those aspects, right? Um, I'm worried about how I get more people into dental care. Those are the things I'm worried about, not the model. The model's, the model's solid. Yeah. And, and as a leader, I want to ask you this question from from the leadership perspective, maybe stepping away even from the dentistry stuff. But as a leader, how do you deal with challenges uh, that, I mean, most challenges you can't see coming, you don't see coming. So when when a challenge comes along and you have to deal with it right away, you have to make those leadership type decisions, you know, pretty quickly. How do you do that? Do you have a system of doing that or do you just kind of take it as it comes? Or is there something that you can share with us about how to deal with challenges just, you know, in your everyday life and in your everyday work? So as I'll tell you what I've learned and then I'll tell you what I have to keep learning. Okay. So here's what I've learned. Uh, You, you, you develop core principles in your life, right? Um, And you make decisions based on those core principles. And you don't go off of those core principles or else your culture fails. Okay. So um, how do I deal with that every day? Um, Every day when stuff comes to me and it just comes fast, right? Uh, You don't go off of that core principle that you started the company and and that you continue to grow with. That's, that's number one. Now, what do I have to learn to do more? Um, I'm a fixer. I I'm a dentist. I walk in and I fix things, right? But as a leader, sometimes you can't fix things all the time, you know? So I would say as an entrepreneur and as a dentist, this is the best way I can explain it in a sports analogy. There are, there are entrepreneurs and most entrepreneurs are the people that want to take the last shot at the end of the game. They want the ball. And you learn as your career goes that that helps you establish your business and grow your business. But the learning experience that you have to have is at one point in time, you need to become a force multiplier and you can't do that by taking the shot every single time. So you have to learn to, to train and teach others to take the last shot. You know, And some entrepreneurs have a tough time doing that and they just can't. And some entrepreneurs have, yeah. you know, it works out really well for them. 
Um, for me, I'm learning that and I'm working on that every single day um, because in my immediate reaction when trouble comes is to fix it. Oh man, I got that answer. I'll tell you right away. But the answer is, is that you shouldn't do that. You should start asking more questions and trying to get them to the point of feeling secure to make those decisions moving forward. I hope I answered that. Okay. I hope I answered that and it wasn't confusing, but. No, that in my was great. Head, in my head, uh, it seems like it's. <laughs> no, I, I think it was great. And I, I yeah, that's a really, you know, I, I like that idea of asking more questions rather than giving more answers. And I think that's really going to be something that we can take and think about and really unpack that more in our own lives. And, uh, and that's what I plan on doing because I'm, I'm really intrigued by that. So, so we, have thanks for sharing that. we have 33 locations. I hope my hope, my wish list would be is we never ever had to go into any of those 33 locations and help. Honestly, mm -hmm. now it's, of course it's, that's never going to happen, but it's the idea is, is that you're creating such great leaders that they can lead their organization themselves. And all you're doing is supporting. Yeah, and I mean, that the, the trust that it takes to, to do that is huge. It takes a huge amount of trust. But then I, what I've seen with people in my life is once you put that trust in them, I think that's really one of the early pieces for people to be able to be successful because they have to know that you trust them or else they're constantly going to be worried about, are you okay with the job that they're doing? And for me, when I knew that my organization trusted me, that's when I really felt like I started flourishing because then I didn't have to worry about, was I doing a good job? All I had to worry about is doing my job and doing it in the way that I, in, in the way that I could stand by it and say, I made that decision because of this. And you know, I believe that this is the way that, that they would have done the same thing. And so once there's that dual level of trust where the organization trusts you and you trust them, I mean, that's, I think, when you really start to see people flourish. And I see that's what you're doing in your practices. Like, you have to put trust in every single person from top to bottom that works there so that everyone can do their thing and flourish. And, and ultimately, that obviously helps the organization flourish as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So before we, we wrap this up, I, I want you to share about um, your social responsibility and sort of what you feel like your social responsibility is and then how you, how you walk that out every day, um, both as the organization and maybe even, you know, your, your family or yourself individually. Um, a social responsibility as in what aspect? Just, uh, you know, resourcing people. We were talking a little bit about that earlier, but resourcing people to be able to to have the resources they need to take care of themselves, their dental health, their yeah. you know, oral health. Um, but also even like you were talking about, maybe even social justice things. I know you talked about sharing that with them, but like, you know, what what is the responsibility uh, that you feel you have in the world. I think any leader or any business owner has that responsibility. Once you lead, whether you're leading two people or whether you're leading 500 people, whether you're leading 500,000 people, the answer is, is that, that you are, 
that is your responsibility. Okay. Um, and by the way, I don't look at it as a, um, a cause or I don't look at it as a, oh my gosh, this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to, um, preach to the, to the, to the rest of it's the preaching is that the culture is, is that you're a good person, right? And that you treat everybody the same and whether they're different or not, they are included in our company. And, um, that because we have literally in any company, uh, we have, uh, wives of police officers. Uh, we have, uh, cousins and, 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 um, individuals that have been hurt by police officers. Okay. Um, we have, uh, uh biracial people. We have bisexual people. We have, I mean, uh, when you, when you grow an organization, you have everybody, right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Everybody is, everybody is the same human being, right? And that's what, that's, that's, what we stand by, um, it, it, it's not hard. I mean, I, you know, some people are like, oh man, that must be hard. If it's hard, then we got a problem. Okay. Um, it's not hard. What's hard is, is that you got to treat them all the same. Right. And sometimes some people that maybe feel like they've been treated poorly outside of our tent. Okay. And they, they probably are treated poorly. Not, not, Probably they are treated poorly. Okay. Um, that sometimes the hard part for me is when they're not doing their job, I don't want them to see me as treating them poorly because of whatever they are. I just, you're not doing your job. (laughs) That's a hard part. That's hard. That's for me, that's hard. Right. Because I, I understand what they're going through, but I also understand that you, you you have to do your job too. You know, we're going to help them through that and we're going to try to work with them before we ever have to say, Maybe this isn't the place for you, but um, that that's sometimes my struggle, you know, because um, but I don't we don't sing from the hilltops. We don't take a megaphone and go, oh, my gosh, this is what we're doing. And, you know, all this stuff. The answer is we're going to include you. And I don't I don't care what you are. You know, I care that you're a great person and you treat our customers really well and we'll treat you really well. Yeah, that's it's important. I think that's, that really is, I mean, it sounds so simple, but on the same aspect, like it really should be. That's right. It should be. It should. I do think, I mean, again, I don't have any answers, man. I am not here to to say like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm the answer King. Okay. Um, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the wrong person to be suggesting anything, but I do think sometimes we make it more complicated than it is. Right. Um, I don't, you know, I, it's kind of like that me too movement. Like I was totally confused. I was like, man, oh man, what are you talking about? Like this, our field will collapse. (laughs) And and that's what I feel about anything, you know, like I need, I need workers. I need anybody to come help us out and move this, move this vision forward and move healthcare forward. Anybody. Right. I don't care what you are. I just, these are our rules. You treat people good. You're great customer service. You're an advocate. We're a big advocate. You're an advocate for their health. You, you're that. I don't, man, blue hair, red hair, whatever you want. We're good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I hope that more 
fields can get like that. And um, I, I just watched the women's basketball national championship that Stanford won last uh, here on Easter Sunday. And um, I was reading the story about Tara Vanderveer, Vanderveer, their head coach, and it was really interesting because it was said in the last 35 years, she hasn't hired a single male assistant because there's such a disparity of, of females in coaching. And so she feels like she needs to give those opportunities to females because other people aren't. And you think about it and you're like, man, I wish that it didn't have to be like that because I'm sure she would just like to hire all, you know, all the best people that she can, regardless of gender. Um, and that's essentially what you get to do because you're getting so many high quality people in there that you just hire the best people. And a lot of them tend to be women, which I think is really, I wish that other fields were the same way. Yeah. See, I, I feel bad for her that she has to, that that's a thought process, right? For us, yeah. it, it, I'm lucky. It's not even a thought process, right? Like when, yeah. when like a, a woman and a male come in and they're, they're looking for a job. I mean, it's a person, right? And, and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, if it's black, white, yellow, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's for us, everybody's included. So I'm good with anything, you know, it's a, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, I I just wish. So that's, you asked me the question of what, what is my social responsibility? I hope that's not a responsibility. I hope that's just what we should do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and maybe right now the responsibility is just sharing how well it works for you and how well it works for the industry so that other people can get inspired by it and say, maybe if I just don't worry about all these other things, but just hire the best people and make sure that I'm available to all people. And they know that if they work here that, you know, they'll be respected and developed, then, you know, I'll be all right. And, and I hope that's what people get, get from that. And, and maybe that's where you're at in your, because for us, I think at, at Bridging Chicago, we just want to share these kinds of things. We want we want to put leaders in front of people and say, here's what they're doing that works really well, and you can do it too. And that's what you're you're sharing with us is that here's what I did. Everyone can do it, but you, it, you know, this you just got to make this a practice. And I think it's really it's really great. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. I mean. Listen, Chicago needs as much leadership as possible to jump in. I mean, we're um, yeah, unfortunately probably a lack of leadership everywhere around, and um, we have great yeah. leaders in this city like yourself that are doing great things. We just need to sing from the hilltops this stuff. <laughs> so I appreciate yeah, it absolutely, Doctor AJ. I just want to make sure if there's anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we go. I want to make sure that you you get it out there. So um, we'll wrap up here, but if there's anything else you want to share, we are, we're happy to hear it. No, I'm good. I'm good. I just, I appreciate you having me on and um, appreciate you let us share our story. And um, you know, if, if anybody uh, is looking for a job, man, come to decision one, we'd love to have you um, and uh, love to have you part of the, the D one family. Yeah. And if you're scared, to go to the dentist. You do not have to be scared. It's okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
you don't have to be scared. Just give them a call. They'll talk you off the ledge, and they'll get you in and get you you know, cared there you for. Go. So uh, we'll make sure that we link all of your, your social media and your website to, to everything so that people can easily find you. Um, we really appreciate your time. We really appreciate your, no, thanks your, for your candor doing. and your – yeah. Uh, we obviously appreciate our listeners. We're, we're so thankful that you join us and that you – have grown uh, the podcast as well. And so we look forward to sharing again with you soon. Uh, but that's it for this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts, under certain conditions, and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.